are living in a world of accelerated change. And with accelerated change comes accelerated fear. You can keep up with the change and you can face uncertainty without fear or anxiety. Anxiety will cause you to ignore your ability to move towards the individual and massively transformative purpose that you were made for. In reality, anxiety and curiosity cannot exist at the same time, which means curiosity is the practice that you can develop in order to train your mental agility. Practicing curiosity and training for mental agility enhances your ability to move towards your purpose again. With mental agility, you can think clearly, understand quickly, make creative decisions, and generate velocity, which is the speed at which we move towards our purpose. And a clear, defined purpose serves as a perfect target. But how do we know what our purpose is exactly? Well, at the intersection of curiosity and velocity is curiosity. Hi, I'm Carrie. And this is my podcast where you can hear my philosophies and be introduced to people helping me achieve the impossible. Any human can do what I'm doing, and every single person has access to doing the impossible. So, are you ready to expand your human experience? Are you ready to grow your current capabilities exponentially? Good, because it's time to dig in and experience curiosity. So previously, I'd really talked about what values are and what they aren't. And I gave you my opinion of a lot of things. (laughs) And, you know, remember, this is just my opinion as it unfolds. And my opinion, the more I learn and the more I intentionally experience my life has been known to be subject to some change, as I would hope everybody's is. As you learn more and then apply things to what you've, you know, applied that learning to your overall life experience, um, it really doesn't seem useful to not change um, your opinion (laughs) along the way. Um, I find it really interesting the variety of judgments people have on each other according to changing people's minds or people changing their mind. So, you know, just sit on that a little bit because I catch myself doing it and I'm really like arbitrary and conditional about who I allow to change their mind and their behaviors and who I don't from that you know, and I'm not saying literally, I'm saying like in my internal mind, I have these snap thoughts and I've learned to not react to every snap thought that I have, but I definitely find myself making judgments on who's allowed to change their opinion and who's not. It's really interesting. Um, So without getting too far into it, because it's a very new concept when it comes to our emotions, which referring back to the previous episode, how we feel, I believe is based on 
whether or not we're thinking and acting through our value filter or whether we've kind of circumvented that filter. And I think that it's really random when we go and we utilize that value filter that makes us feel so good or circumvent that value filter where we feel like less good. <laughs> I think that being able to be aware of that and to create consistency in living in alignment to our values comes down to how intentional we are. So becoming aware means you notice that you've created your life with your thoughts and through your value filter. And whatever you're experiencing as results in your life may not be what you kind of set out to do or what you think is good. But I think a lot of that is fixed with intentionality. And what do I mean by intentional? I mean, being specifically aware of the choices that you make in your internal life down to like the most minutia of details. And then knowing that you can set an intentional direction for yourself. And that comes down to like some really meta intentionality. Um, being intentional about setting your intentions, right? It's like meta thought, thinking about what you're thinking. And so with values, it's a little bit trickier, depending on what sort of ecology that you were raised in, what kind of environment, I guess, would be a more general term, like your economic status, your religious or spiritual environment, the way that you were raised, um, your childhood experiences really do, really do come into play with how your values are formed in an unintentional manner. I don't, I don't know where I'm at on the idea of whether or not you can change your values that are created during your childhood, or if you're more changing the behavior that you use to express those values. Uh, jury's still out on that one. <laughs> but I do know that you can change your value or change your behavior and your thoughts around a value and achieve different results in your life, if that makes any sense. But what happens is, um, and a lot of this information I pull from some research and some studies and some books that a uh, Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett wrote, and she wrote, um, well, the most recent one was seven and a half lessons about your brain. So I suggest that you start there. She wrote another one a little bit earlier that's a little bit more in depth um, about where emotions come from. But what she states is that the most unique brain development thing that humans have compared to other mammals or other organisms, I guess not even restricted specifically to mammals, but other organisms 
what happens with our brain is, is that a lot of it develops after we're born. And because it develops after we're born, there's a lot of our environment that creates that specific human brain. And we, we do a lot of self-teaching as well as teaching from outside of us, from parents and caregivers. And it is the nature that comes from nurture and that it's, it's, there's like a really porous barrier between our internal lives and our external lives because as we internalize the external, we create a different sort of external or physical life that we then use to um, inform that internal life again. A lot of people call that like a feedback loop. It's a, it's a growth cycle is what it is. And, and so we grow up with like these. And so as our brain develops from baby to, you know, about 25 is when we really, it slows down, but it doesn't stop. Mind you, that's what neuroplasticity is about. We continue to kind of tune and prune our brains our entire lives and we can exercise that in order to keep it functioning as highly and as as intentionally as possible. However, we're considered having like that super socially impressionable brain from an unintentional, like a, what's the word I'm looking for? Immature. Our brain is considered immature until we reach that point. Yes, that's that's the best word to describe that phase in our growth, in our brain development, is that immaturity. And then we hit around that age and, and then we're more mature with how we deal with that inner life. Um, and by inner life, I guess I should be kind of specific. Our inner life is what happens in our brain. <laughs> and our unique brains give us this ability to ascribe meaning to things because we have such a developed um, body budgeting system. Our brains weren't necessarily made for thinking and feeling. Our brains are distributors of energy. And I don't mean like an existential energy. I mean like a literal focus and the assigning of calories to specific parts of our functions, to our different systems, okay? And if our brain is not getting the right signals, that's going to be a struggle for us to budget accordingly. And I think that values play into that in the sense of if what we're doing is not in alignment with values, or if we judge what we're doing is out of alignment with a value, that's going to screw up our body budget. We're going to spend a lot of energy being in this cognitive dissidence, and that's going to affect our overall performance and output and contribution to the physical world. 
I think that that's where a lot of lack of, of purpose comes from is the exhaustion from being in cognitive dissonance. I think that's where a lot of our mental health um, is determined. I know that a lot of people are in therapy or seek that professional help in order to get their values into alignment with their behavior. And there's a whole bunch of professionals out there that will get you there one way or another. I think that coaching is part of that. It's for people at a particular stage of acceleration. And I don't think coaching can fix um, some of the mental health issues, but I also believe that not all therapy methods are effective for all people. That's why we continue to develop new therapy methods. That's why um, psychologists continue to research. That's why neuroscientists are starting to really work with psychologists and sociologists and things this because we're still figuring it out. And we are all so unique that having some sort of overarching standard is difficult. So as long as we're humans, we're going to continue to ask questions and we're going to continue to uncover new information. And sometimes we travel down the wrong path. Damn it. And sometimes we'll travel down the wrong question path, which is kind of what's happened with the, um, the triune brain, which is the idea that we have some sort of lizard brain and that our limbic system is exclusively dedicated to emotion. And then our prefrontal cortex is the reasoning man. The reason why I say that is because um, with Lisa Feldman Barrett's research, what makes us unique is not the fact that we are rational and that we have this prefrontal cortex, but it's the amount of time spent developing that. And that is the immature to mature brain, that prefrontal cortex. Um, the length of time we develop it over years, as opposed to like a gestational period of a different organism on life, um, on earth. So that's, that's really interesting. If you want to dig in more, like I said, seven and a half lessons of the brain by Dr. Lisa Feldman Barrett. It's a great, um, kind of layman's expression of something super technical, like neurobiology and neuroscience and the psychology behind emotions. So when it comes to, I've talked about having like this intentional internal life and the development of your values and your plan on how to use those values to propel you to an impossible life is I think the, the uh, ultimate goal for myself. But sometimes just to get kind of like what you might think of as a baseline life, <laughs> it still needs to be defined. And we went over the dictionary definition of what they are. And then I had pulled some ideas from various 
resources and therapies that talk about what they aren't. <sighs> but that probably left you with the question of, well, so what are my values and what does that matter and how does that mean anything to me at all? And you get to decide. That's the beauty of it. So a values are just like a word, any old word that brings to mind for you individually behaviors that are useful to getting what it is that you individually want or need from life. I'm going to go over wants and needs later, and I think sometimes as humans we get a little confused over what is a want and what is a need, but I think that setting our values is is really useful in clarifying that. So I think that it's probably the most useful to try and come up with words yourself that describe behaviors that have gotten you what you wanted or needed. So family is really important to a lot of people as a value. They value their family. They will go to great lengths. Blood over, you know, blood runs thicker than water. Um, and that's really, you know, that's really a throwback to being protected by our family. So, so when I say family, that's a definition that you have created for yourself. What is your family? Who is your family? How are they involved? And I would recommend focusing on the most useful, joy-inspiring aspects of your family. So biological or not, whatever you self-identify as your family, that's your family. And, and if you think that family is more important than anything else in this world, then family would be your most prevalent value. Your family might have a virtue of communicating often, and maybe you don't do that, and maybe you're judged by your family for not doing that, but that's a virtue, that's not a value, that doesn't mean that you don't value them. It just means that your behavior isn't reflecting what they think is virtuous from somebody who values family. So again, you really have to make this about your internal work. So go through, list as many things as you think qualify as value. And then maybe break it down to just 10 of them. Take a look at how they fit into each other. Um, achievement and material goods might be a performance value and they can kind of go together. And there's a certain set of behaviors that means to you that you're living within that value. And I think the clearer you define that and put it into writing and weave it throughout your life, the easier it is to make decisions and less of that body budget, the literal energy you spend on making those decisions means there's more that you can spend on performance and growth. And that circles right back around, folks. That circles right back around to living an impossible life. Now, the next episode that's coming up is going to be my interview with David Allison. And what he has done is he's created a value database. And it's 
um, I don't remember right offhand. Maybe I'll come back and amend it, but um, right offhand, why what why he chose what words he chose, or if that was like um, a collection of self identifiers that he pulled out of his surveys. That's definitely a question that I'm going to be asking him. But as of right now. He has 56 values and then kind of post Corona world, I think um, four more may have gotten added to that, but I'm not sure exactly how he does that. So I think what's really important about this value database is the idea that there's no bad value. They're all important to the progression of who we are as a human, a worldwide human community. We might be operating on, say, these 10 values over here, but that doesn't make that these other 10 values over there that this other person is operating from not useful to who we are as a human community. As a matter of fact, I'm really glad that I only have to think about 10 and somebody else is dealing with the other ones because it sure narrows my focus as to pose, as to um it narrows my focus as to what my purpose is in this world as a unique human of worth i think without that narrowed focus we would get nothing done <laughs> there would be no human progression and we just really need to acknowledge that somebody with a different set of values is not in opposition to us they really are in the strengthening of who all of us are, even if we don't think that their behavior is 100% virtuous according to our values, is it in alignment with their own values is definitely a question we should ask. And I think in that sense too, st statistics are statistics, right? Obviously, say, the number one value in America is family. That doesn't necessarily mean that your specific number one value. I think I just hit the mic. Let me try that again. Your specific value is family. But I can bet somewhere in your top 10, if you're an American, you have family as your value. And I think that it really, like I had said, it, it helps with the preservation of your, your body budget, your energy that you put into making your decisions and your values really sculpt like your career, sculpt your behaviors in relation to a, you know, your personal relationship with yourself as well as the relationships you develop throughout your life, as well as the amount of time that you dedicate to anything and any given phase in your life. And so that is really why values are so important and they are formed when you're young. And I don't know, like I said, if you change them or not, But I do know your behaviors and your thoughts surrounding them changes as you progress 
and mature and have experiences. So I would love to hear from you. Have you taken the time to write down several values and to write down what those values look like from a behavior standpoint? and how those values really motivate that behavior. And you don't have to share this with me, but really think about how those values, whether or not you're living every aspect of your life in alignment with those values, if they're serving each other or if they're contradicting. Anyways, Anchor has this super great feature where you can like call in and leave a message. It should be at the bottom of any of the platforms you're listening from. And it should say, uh, call in a message or something along those lines. Give that a try. See if you can call in. If you don't want me to use your recording on an episode, I won't. But I thought it'd be fun to see if it works. I haven't had anybody use it yet. Um, you can always email me which is just curiosity at gmail.com. So the name of this podcast at <laughs> gmail.com. And I would love to hear from you. The next episode you're going to be hearing is going to be that David Allison interview. And I'm really excited because we're kind of taking what he's done and he has spoken to a lot of businesses and how they can use this in their marketing, but I've asked him to really discuss what it means to us on a personal level, having this reference, this database. All right. Until next time, friends. That's all for today. This has been another production of KERI Radio. And until I see you again, stay curious.